Hello and welcome to the Fort Wayne Local Podcast. I'm your host, Jake McPhee. Today, our guest is Drew Wired. He's a full-time real estate investor and fan favorite. So Drew, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to get talking. So we're going to talk today about a couple things. One, we're going to talk about what it's like to leave your dream career, you know, a career that in America gets put high on a pedestal and why you walked away from it for full-time investing. Um, and then also kind of get a snapshot on, you know, what you're looking at in the real estate investing space um, and what your predictions are heading into next year. So, yeah, sure. Um, okay. So just a quick, quick background on Drew. Um, founded and sold the Fort Wayne uh, Real Estate Investor Association, the Fort Wayne RIA. He's been a guest on Bigger Pockets. Um, he's a local leader in the real estate space, which is why we like to have him on. Um, and so before we get started, um, can you kind of give an overview of your real estate portfolio right now, where it stands? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll give you the quick and dirty. So locally, I own, um, I was up to about 50 doors. I'm back down to about 35. I'm just repositioned and, and traded in and out of a few. So about 35 doors locally. Um, and then my partner and I, Tyler, um, he and I have kind of jumped into commercial real estate pretty aggressively in the last year or so. Um, and we own four um, commercial properties. Now, two of them are under contract to sell, um, but moving forward on that front, um, I still do apartment syndications in Phoenix um, for people who want to invest in, in those sort of projects. Um, and then it's it's not necessarily real estate specific, but my partner and I, Tyler, again, um, have begun the process of acquiring and operating businesses. Um, so that's been kind of the latest and greatest adventure. Awesome. I want to dig in on that, especially the business piece. I've seen some of your posts. I was curious. So, um, okay. So you, uh, was it, how long has it been since you left your career? Was it like six months, eight months? Something no, like it's that? actually been just over a year. Over um, a the year. year went really quick. Yeah. It was June of last year and and here we are in July of, uh, 2023. So a little over a year. Okay. So you were a, a market clinical pharmacy director for Lutheran hospital. Um, what, what did that mean? What's, what kind of role is that in the hospital? Yeah, basically, um, in the world of pharmacy, there are kind of two branches. There's one side that focuses on getting drugs out to patients, safety, so logistics and technology and computer systems and all that. The other side is clinical, so hanging out with the doctors, uh, prescribing side effects, all that kind of stuff. And so um, we had, um, I think, seven hospitals in that uh, hospital network. And so I had clinical responsibilities across all of those hospitals. Okay. And so, you know, I feel like medicine is like on the, probably the top of the totem pole in American mindset, especially people that are our parents' age. Um, you know, I've got a lot of friends who are doctors. I know they, you know, they enjoy it. They do a good job. So like, why, why would you want to leave the stability and what I assume was probably a, a pretty healthy income behind to go into the world of real estate investing that can be so volatile and so stressful? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I mean, you talk about stressful and volatile. Um, I would tell you that healthcare at large is stressful and volatile, especially coming off the heels of COVID and all of that. But um, for me specifically, <clears throat> pharmacy is a fantastic job. Um, you know, practicing medicine at that level and being kind of in the hospital leadership side. Um, if you want a job, it's a great job, and they treated me very, very well. Um, they did pay me handsomely. Um, probably just enough 
to make sure that I gave up on my dreams for a, for a long time. <laughs> but, you know, people talk about golden handcuffs um, and that's, that's very much what I had for a long time. Um, so I started investing really just to have a security blanket. I never thought it would set me free or try to leave the job with it. Um, but it just, it scaled and it, it grew and grew and grew. And so for me, it's not that I lost the love of healthcare because I didn't enjoy healthcare. It became more about when I go to my job for someone else, I'm trading time for money. They're going to give me X amount of dollars for the amount of time that I put in there, even if I'm salaried, right? I'm trading 40 hours a week or a year's worth of work, whatever, for that for that salary. But every single time I bought a rental property or I flipped a house or any, like every little investment that I created was something where I put energy in and it's going to pay me forever. Maybe not a flip per se, but like rental properties and other investments. And so- when I'm cranking widgets for myself, I get to keep them. And those widgets just keep paying me. When I'm cranking them for other people, there's literally no end to it. you know. And so I came to the realization that if you don't learn how to make money while you sleep, then you'll work until the day that you die. And um, once that kind of trigger flipped, then I just, the entrepreneurial side of me just kind of came out and I, I just... I was a worthless employee at that point because I knew I was never going to give them my best um, despite my efforts to try to do so. Okay. And so that that's some really deep stuff. Um, so putting yourself, or I guess what I'm trying to relate to is like, there's probably other people who are in similar shoes, maybe not the same position, but they want to go after their passion. They want to go after entrepreneurship, but they've got this steady income. So I kind of want to walk people through like what your mindset was like, like when did it become a thought of, I, I think I could actually do this full time instead of just on the side. When when did that kind of start playing out? Yeah, that's a great question. I would tell you maybe in 2019, 2020, that's where I started to get that itch of, man, I don't enjoy going to work and doing what my boss tells me to do. I want to go do the things that I want to do. Um, and so I, I spent most of 2019 being really dissatisfied, really upset. Uh, you know, I'd go home and complain about it and but I wasn't moving towards anything. My wife, you know, she would listen, but she's like, I can't help you with this. I don't, I don't know what you need. So eventually again, real estate just kept growing and growing. It got big enough to where if I lost that job, maybe I could survive on it. And so in 2020, these are in the throes of COVID and all of that. I kind of made up my mind that at some point in the future, I'm walking away from this. I don't know when, but get a little bit later, maybe late 2020, early 21. Um, I decided that I have to find a way out because I'm starting to lose my mind. I've, I've, I've got to find my way out. So I joined a couple masterminds. Um, I hired a mindset coach um, because I knew that I'd have to make the very, very big shift from W-2 employee with a paycheck every two weeks to kind of the feast or famine of creating your own future, right? Um, so... <clears throat> that's a windy answer to say probably about 2021. Um, I set my dates for my 2022 exit and made it happen. Okay. So what, what was your game plan? Like, what did you need to see happen for you to feel comfortable pulling the trigger? Like, did you have like a certain number of doors? You know, I'm assuming you, you're obviously very regimented. So you probably had budgets laid out and you said, you know, you had targets you had to hit, but what, what did you need to see for you to pull the trigger on it? Yeah. So basically it was really all about dollars and cents and not that everything's about money, but to make that transition, I had to mm -hmm. figure out where the money's going to come from. 
So I really had to compare what my annual salary was to how much passive income I was paying myself or would would pay myself when the time came. And at that point, I really hadn't built a cash flow machine. I was building building kind of a, a net worth type of portfolio, meaning like if the bank would give me a 10 or 15 year note, I would take it instead of a 20 year note that would cash flow better, but I was paying them off really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. So I had to start working through how do I generate more passive income, either with the stuff I already own or by buying more stuff. Um, and we tweaked a lot of that, but it was really, it was kind of a race um, to increase that that passive income to the point where I felt safe enough to step away. Okay. And what um, what concerns did you have as the change was approaching? Was there anything that you were specifically worried about? You know, the mindset coaching was really, really helpful. Um, I think it helped to tease out that I had kind of a baseline fear that I had never really thought about. Um, I was really accustomed to a paycheck every two weeks for like the last 15 years, right? But I had some anxiety about letting that go, even though the cash windfalls that might come every two or three months would be much bigger. That's, you know, there's a big gap there. And so to prove my model or prove it to myself, I chose in 2021, this has been like August, September, something like that, that I was going to stop using any of my W-2 income. It was all going to go into a savings account. And if I need it, it's there, but I'm going to prove to myself that I can live off of what I can create with passive income and uh, with real estate. And we did. And so for the next eight months or so, I didn't touch it. Uh, a single time. And I still, to this day, have not touched that bucket of money. And it's it's a sizable chunk just sitting in the savings account for the rainy day. Um, but it it proved to me that it could be done. Did you have any like freak outs like last minute, like right before you're about to do it? Like, what the hell am I doing? No. You were all about it? 100%. Yeah. I mean, I I had written my resignation letter six months in advance. I hadn't put dates on it yet. Like I, but you know, it's a very empowering exercise to know that it's there and you can drop it on someone's desk um, any day that you want. And um, the day that I used it, um, I, I hadn't planned to turn it in that day, but my boss called me in and he said, hey, we're making a few changes around here. Here are the new projects I want you to work on. And this is what I really need from you. And I said, I appreciate what you're asking for, but I can't give you that. You're asking for more and I'm not willing to give you more. So Give me just a second. I ran back in my office. I threw the dates on it and hand it to him. And oh, he was man. a little, I think he was a little shocked. Um, yeah. but it was, I think it was probably a mutual win for both of us because I needed out and he needed someone that was ready to go all in and I wasn't there anymore. Yeah. No, I that's that's great. Um okay, and then what um if you had it to do over again, is there anything that you would do differently or something you'd advise someone who's been struggling with the same decision to to contemplate? For me personally, if I could do anything over again, I would have tried to scale up faster on the real estate side. So, you know, go single family and then maybe some small multifamilies, then maybe bigger apartments or get to commercial investing sooner. That's, but that's very Drew specific. Mm -hmm. Um, For someone who is kicking around getting out of that job, I think you need to spend time with people who have done it. Um, and you're not going to be able to take advice from people who have jobs because they are never going to understand. It's a completely different mindset and it takes a very um, specific approach to life to be able to pivot from one to the other. 
Um, it's, it's like people who ask investing advice from people who have never invested. It just, it doesn't make any sense. They're going to tell you every reason you shouldn't do it. And those are not the people that are going to help you get there. Hey, amen. That's fantastic. I've actually got a specific friend in mind who's in medicine and has some entrepreneurial opportunities on the table. So I hope he, I hope he watches this. Um, yeah. Okay. So pivoting to investing a little bit, um, where are you focusing right now? Like what, what kind of deals are you hunting for? So all sorts of things. Um, so I run Clear Sky Properties, uh, which is kind of a direct to consumer marketing type of company where, um, you know, we try to buy single family homes and maybe duplexes for fourplexes, things like that. Um, so we continue to market to those. We are, we're in Allen County, which is where Fort Wayne is. And then uh, most of the surrounding counties as well. Um, I have gotten far more selective with what I will offer on and what I will bring in house just kind of because the world has kind of changed. Um, and as I start to do more commercial resident or, uh, commercial real estate, um, I've learned that not all of the small deals are worth my time and energy because I, I really have to focus to get everything done. So um, that's on the residential side, what we're looking for. Um, my partner and I, Tyler, on the in, or on the commercial side, focus mostly on industrial um, real estate. So warehouses, flex space, um, mostly single tenant, but we're open to multi-tenant type of buildings as well. Okay. And how are you positioning yourself against inflation? Oh man, that's a great question. I mean, I I would tell you that I did that three years ago because you should have seen the writing on the wall. Um, we've had the lowest inflation that we've had for forty years, and then we needed we needed uh, the market to slide or to hurt a little bit because it was just too hot. It was too hot forever. COVID hit, and we printed an absolute ton of money, right? So it should tell you that inflation is going to be right behind it. Once you give the masses a whole lot more money, then the cost of everything is just going to go go up. So for me, um, I refinanced most all of my debt um, back before interest rates went up and I locked them in. It um, That's kind of when I made the pivot from the 15 years to the 20 years for better mm -hmm. cash flow. Um, but I locked in you know 4% interest rates across most of my stuff. Now, anything I buy today, the interest rate is much, much bigger. But the ultimate hedge against inflation is to own things that are real. Does, yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't even matter what asset class, but it's gold or real estate or dirt or a thousand chickens or whatever. But things that are real. Um, and so, inflation, in my opinion, is not going away anytime sooner. It is the the growth or the rate of inflation has started to slow down here in the states, but it's it's still going to keep going. So buy and hold things and hold tight. How are, how are you factoring in now that you're a full-time investor and you need to actually take money out of your investment business? Are you factoring that in with longer notes or, you know, you have partners and um, are you comfortable sharing like how you're compensated out of, you know, as you try to grow the portfolio, but now you have to pull money out of the business where before you really didn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just, I'll give it to you really straight. I mean, it's um, my game up until very, very recently has always been multiple streams of income, right? So when I had just a W-2, I had one massive stream of income. All the money came from one place. As you get more and more rentals, you know, you get to 10 doors, 20 doors, 50 doors, what, whatever it is. Like right now across my 35, 
there are 35 little oil wells just dripping every day. I, I go to sleep and there's there's more oil that comes out in the next the next day. Um, so on my rental portfolio, I have X amount of dollars that I pay myself every single month. Um, and that's regardless of how it performs. It's it's not even half of what that entity throws off, but it's what I'm willing to pay myself out of that. The rest of the money goes into the business. Um, if I were to flip a house today, what I do with that money is um, all the profits that come, I will take 25% um, and set it aside for state and federal taxes. Then I will pay myself 25% and then 25% that comes to me, I'll tithe on that and, and give that back to God and the church. Um, and then, so I, I basically live on 25% of the profits from flips and other transactional things. Um, and again, I alluded to some other businesses that my partner and I are buying. So as we buy these new businesses, um, we don't pay ourselves a ton, um, but just little bits, you know, so it all just kind of stacks up into something that's really impactful. Okay. And are you still buying um, single family and like small multis, like one to four units? Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, all right. And um, so, what like can you do some predictions on Fort Wayne real estate through the end of twenty twenty three and into twenty four? Like, what are you predicting for our local market here? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, you know, I was playing the prediction game quite a bit. We talked about it on the other episodes that I've mm -hmm. been on. And I've almost kind of given up on it, um, not because I've been proven wrong. I, if anything, I think we've been pretty accurate with where we think things were going. Um, but the reason I'm hesitant is because um, all the fundamentals are squirrely. Um, you know, the the yield curves and all the things that macro economic, uh, economists look at, they just don't make any sense. Um I guess Fort Wayne specific, Fort Wayne still feels very, very strong. Um, it's slower than it was. I imagine you see that as well. Mm -hmm. um, on the things that I'm selling, I'm not seeing, I'm not having to come down on price much at all, but it just takes a little bit longer. Um, so I think um, interest rates will probably bump up one or two more times through the end of the year based on what the Fed and, and all the analysts are telling us. Um, which I don't think will speed up the sale of houses. And, you know, of course, the fall and the winter is always a, or generally is a little bit slower. But I think Fort Wayne as, as a market compared to other markets will remain very, very strong. Okay. That's pretty much what I'm seeing. And yeah, we have, especially lately, really within the last like month, I'm, I'm very curious to see the numbers because prices have gone up every, every month, year over year. Um, you know, and we haven't seen June's numbers yet, but it just, I know there's more price reductions. They've been up. Um, and I've had some properties that I thought were going to move pretty quick and have sat a little bit. So, you know, there's definitely more options for buyers. I know we still had, you know, I think, uh, I want to say 1.3 months of inventory in May, you know, and six months is balanced. So we're still in a seller's market. You know, I'm starting to see some private chatter in Facebook groups that are getting a little dramatic. I don't think I don't think it's to panic time yet just because it's softened. Um, but who knows? Maybe this is the end of, you know, that good run, but we'll see. But definitely seeing it slow down. And I would say at least prices are going to hold if I had to make a prediction through the end of this year and into next year. But like you said, there's so many variables. It's really tough to make a good prediction. 
Yeah, well, and, you know, Fort Wayne was historically one of the cheapest places to live forever, and it's still very, very affordable. Um, but we're just catching up. Like some of the crazy pricing and things that that we think are crazy because we're from here, like mm-hmm. we're still cheaper than a lot of places. And so um, I don't think we're I don't think prices will ever slide, um, even if the economies and, and markets really take a hit. Um, I don't think we're ever going back to cheaper prices. And I don't think even if you get some rate relief in 2024, I don't think it's going to be significant. It'll never be what it was with the 3% and 4% and things like that. So the land of milk and honey is over is what we're saying. Depends on how you look at it. I mean, (laughs) we're headed back to a reality that looks very normal and is very healthy. You know, when you look at like the ZERP environments or zero interest rate, um, type things that we've had for for years and years like that there's a lot of danger that comes with that and so yes it's really nice to get a low rate on your mortgage and i'm glad i locked my 30-year fixed in but it shouldn't stop people from buying houses as we move forward if your rate is seven seven and a half that's historically that's a very healthy um that's a very healthy rate so what what advice would you give someone who's looking to invest in fort wayne you know they're just getting in the investing space what would you advise them to look at? I mean, I know it's obviously specific, but are there any, uh, I mean, case specific, are there any sectors you'd advise them to you know, consider or anything you would tell them to stay away from? Yeah, really good question. Um, I would not tell you there's any niches or anything that you need to steer clear from. But what I would tell you is, is I'm seeing more and more investors who are investing not according to um, fundamentals. Right. Um, they're really stretching deals, really. Um, you know, if it doesn't work, if it doesn't cash flow on a 20 year note and you have to flip it to a 30, like I would never do that. That doesn't mean it's wrong, but I would never do that. There are a lot of people who did that for the Airbnbs. And now the Airbnbs are really cooling down. And I'm talking like they're not gone. I have a few and there's and mine are doing well, but they're a little niche specific. Um, but I know there are a lot of people who went 30 years on some of those and it only cash flowed during Airbnb times. And there a lot of people are selling them, moving off of them. So, so, so make sure you have multiple exit strategies or a plan B and C if plan A doesn't work. And if you're banking on plan A, you think that that's too risky. hundred percent. You you always need to have two, if not three exit strategies or or something else you could do with the property. Um, the other thing I think that's really interesting on an investor front is the number of people who are wholesaling here in the local market is staggering. Um, and I don't say that because sometimes I wholesale deals and I, you know, I want fewer competitors, but there are a lot of folks from other markets who are wholesaling here remotely, locking properties up at really crazy prices um, and then they can't move them. They can't move them. Sometimes they'll file like a notice of interest so that no one can buy or sell that house. There's, there's a lot of sketchy stuff happening out there. So if you buy from wholesalers, vet them, make sure that you're getting good margins on your deals. Um, just get, get to know the people that you buy from because it's, it, the game has kind of evolved on the wholesaler front in the last six to 12 months. It's reminded me a little bit of what I saw in Orlando before I left. You know, that was a lot hotter market, a bigger city. And some of the stuff and the deals that I was being pitched were like, 
terrible, terrible. I'm like, these aren't even, these aren't even good deals, but the way they try to spin it. So you're right. I feel like it'd be easy to make a mistake if you're taking advice from them and they are selling, you know, trying to hype you up on something that's really not a good deal numbers wise. And maybe there's some uh, appreciation opportunities, but if that's your only strategy, then that can be risky too. Yeah. We don't invest for appreciation here in the Midwest. And of course that seems ridiculous to say, given the last two years, um, but appreciation should always be the icing on the cake. The the fundamentals underneath need to work. And then if you get the appreciation, then that's a great bonus. Yeah. And I think that's something quick to touch on. I was just talking with Michael and my team the other day where, you know, anyone who bought anything in the last couple of years looks wise because, you know, everything has just gone up in value. But I think if the interest rates stay up and things start to kind of normalize, stabilize, I think you got to remember the fundamentals of like what makes a property you know, stable, you know, like what school district is it in the path of progress, like what's going on around it? Like, what are the local economics of even that side of town? Because I think this just because everything has gone up doesn't mean like there's neighborhoods that I've seen that are going up in value that I think long-term are not going to be good investments yeah. because they're trending in the wrong direction. You know, I completely agree. Okay. So, um, pivoting to the businesses. So tell me a little bit about that. Like, how did you how did that get on your radar buying businesses going from real estate and medicine? How did you get involved in buying businesses? Sure. Well, so about a year ago, um, about the time I was getting ready to quit, my my partner had uh, quit from his job a couple months before and had always really wanted to own businesses um, and jumped into the study of it pretty intently. And so he and I talked, we both studied some, he would bring deals to me and we start to analyze, but we found a couple that made sense started making offers and and one of them hit in Detroit and it just involves some manufacturing up there um, somewhat related to the auto industry. But um, we wound up acquiring that in September of 22 and that has been fantastic. Um, there, there are a couple of other really exciting projects going on up there that I can't speak to yet because we're we're still under NDA and all that sort of stuff. But um, that business is going very, very well. Um, some new stuff in Michigan coming along. And then, you know, we're still making offers on other businesses to acquire. And I think the long-term goal for us is really to have kind of a holding company um, or maybe small private equity company that holds and oversees and operates multiple businesses. What's the profile of business that you're looking for? Are you looking for something that's just already churning off cash and you guys can just buy it and collect? Are you looking for something that maybe has a little bit of mismanagement or bloated overhead or something that you can kind of restructure and be a little more active with? Yeah, um, we don't, we're not yet looking for full turnaround operations, you know, ones that are struggling badly. We're looking for those companies who have solid cash flows in place and a, a strong track record. And then in addition to that, we like to look then at our skill set and see how can we augment that? How can we grow it? So, for example, I'll make up a hypothetical business. There, say that there's a company where um, everything they do is still on paper. Maybe they have a website, maybe they don't. There's no social media presence, but they have a great product. They manufacture a great product. Well, if they've been making money making this great product, but nobody knows about it and there's no sales team, there's no marketing, there's no growth strategy, that's the kind of stuff where I think Tyler and I can come in and have a really, really deep impact. And so 
Um, again, we've got some offers out right now that we're waiting to hear back on those exact type of businesses. Okay. And and why would someone like that sell? Like if it's making money, why would someone sell their business? Uh, there's a lot of reasons. Um, one of the major reasons right now though, is most small businesses, I don't know that most, there are I don't know what the number is, millions, hundreds of thousands of businesses that are owned by uh, baby boomers. And so, for example, one that we're offering on right now, the owner is about 70 and it's just time. Um, and so, you know, as we read more literature and look at who owns these businesses, I think there's a really, really key opportunity for those of us willing to take on some of those businesses um, as the baby boomers, the, the last of the baby boomers start to sell off. Um, cause, cause there are a ton of them, right. And a ton of businesses out there, but very few people who actually want to buy businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it's, I think it's a once in a lifetime kind of generational opportunity for people our age, um, or, you know, younger than baby boomers to jump in to these opportunities. And, you know, you don't necessarily want to go buy more than you can handle, but there are plenty. Okay. And did this come about because real estate was getting so competitive? And like we just mentioned, it's kind of hard to make predictions. And because there's so much uh, out of state interest and stuff like that, the deals are harder to come by. And so you needed to pivot into something else where maybe there's less competition and it's a little more nuanced. Um, or was this like a passion thing where you just, I love business, I know it. I'm going to invest in what I know. Yeah, I would tell you it didn't have anything to do with increased competition locally or being scared of real estate. I think when it comes to buy and hold real estate, um, it's it's powerful in a lot of different ways, but it's a get rich slow kind of scheme, right? So the idea for us is with buying businesses, growing, scaling, creating those sort of cash flows, those can spool up massively and very, very quickly if done well. And so I think on the on the right hand, we intend to own businesses that we can grow and throw off rapid cash flow and can get us to where we want to be kind of net worth wise. But then we'll take those cash flows and put them in the left hand, which is buy and hold real estate, mostly commercial and, and hide them there. So you get kind of the magic of Big growth, even though it gets taxed a lot on the business side, but heavy cash flows, big growth, maybe big sales of the businesses after you grow them, and then hide that income in tax-advantaged buy-and-hold real estate. Okay. And what is your role in these new businesses? Like, how, What's your day-to-day -day look like or how much time are you putting into these? Yeah, that's a good question. So all of our criteria centers around, not all of our, some of our criteria centers around um, having a COO in place or a VP of operations or someone who's running that business. Um, we we want to be able to visit that business, but we're not going to be on site running it day to day. That's somebody else's job. So we lead um, remotely, virtually, um, and we'll visit once a month, that sort of stuff. So um, my partner, Tyler, he's a genius when it comes to underwriting and finance and equipment and and that sort of thing. Um, I tend to be better with the HR um, policies, hiring, firing, um, and then we collaborate on the finances and the budgeting and things like that. So um, those are our roles kind of as we see them now, but there's always an operations type of leader um, on site. Okay. How, did you put that person in place or were they already there when you bought it? 
the operations person. In that business, that person was there. They were brought in to do that, but the previous owner had really not empowered them to be the guy to, to do that job. Um, so half the staff were coming to him, half were still coming to the owner. Um, and that was the first thing we did is we gave him a new job title, elevated him to that role and made it very clear that you guys are all welcome to come to us anytime that you need. But the first question I'm going to ask is what did the COO say about it? Right. Cause he, you need to take all of this to him first. And he's really thrived with that. He's doing very, very well. How did it, I guess you only have one example, but did you have any pushback or skepticism from the existing employees with like new people coming in or was it a kind of a welcome change? Um, it was probably a mixed bag. I don't know that I heard a lot of it if there was much dissension. Um, we we did lose two highly skilled individuals. Um, one of them was very close to that owner. The other one just took another opportunity. But with all of the things that we've come in and done, uh, like we started a, a bonus program that based on safety and production and efficiency, you know, if you hit your numbers every single month, everyone in the whole company gets a bonus. Um, if you don't hit your numbers, then no one does, right? It's a team effort. But there, there are things like that. Um, you know, we've we've kind of revamped the break room. We've bought some new equipment, so we're investing pretty heavily in the staff, and and that seems to have been a very welcome sort of change. That's awesome. And, and are you looking to maybe sell these businesses to turn around and sell them, or is the plan to buy and hold for a while? Yep. That's a great question. You know, I think we're, we're always going to be open to whatever comes down the pike, but we are, we buy with the intention to hold for 10 years and reassess at that point. Now, if it blows up and private equity firm comes along and says, Hey, we're going to give you just a silly offer, then of course we're going to entertain that. But we want to own cash flowing businesses probably indefinitely. Okay. And is there a goal? Are you trying to acquire a certain number every year or what, what does that look like? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think uh, my partner and I both have um, either monthly or annual cash flow goals that we would like to get to eventually. Um, there's not a number of businesses that we necessarily want to hit because I think with some of these, we will grow them. Um, I think our focus is probably to lock down a three to five businesses within the next calendar year and see how that feels to be kind of a holding company that holds businesses and we'll reassess from there. Versus just like scaling for the sake of scaling. It's like kind of intentional growth. And then, and then it's kind of, I don't know if you're an Alex Hermosi guy, but he's talked about, you know, growing a business to its maximum potential versus just trying to start new things all the time. He's like, you actually leave a lot of opportunity on the table by not maximizing the business you're in. Yeah, no, I guess I'd be inclined to agree with that. Okay. Awesome. Well, Drew, this has been fantastic. Um, where can people connect with you if they want to see more of your content? Where would you direct them to go? Yeah, honestly, the easiest way to get a hold of me is probably you'll find me on Instagram at the flying investor. Um, or you can find me just by my name on Facebook. That's Those are probably the best ways to chase me down. That's great. Well, I had a lot of fun today. If you made it this far in the interview, please subscribe. You can either go to Jake and Fort Wayne on YouTube, or you can go to iTunes, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, and download the Fort Wayne Local Podcast. So Drew, thanks again. And guys, we'll catch you on the next one.